Studying the science of our planet and solving the problems its inhabitants face has been Dr. Dahlia Kirschbaum's mission since joining NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center over 10 years ago. Her career has been nothing short of impressive, and since June 2022, she has served as the director of the Earth Sciences Division. Her research interests are centered on rainfall-triggered landslide modeling. This includes remotely sensed information to conduct landslide hazards and risk studies. It's my pleasure to welcome my friend and colleague, Dr. Dahlia Kirschbaum, to Weather Geeks. Dahlia, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It is really amazing, and I, I want to say that it's great to have you all in this new format for the podcast. Longtime listeners to Weather Geeks know that it has been an audio podcast, but we are evolving transforming. And we are now a video and audio podcast. And uh, it's so awesome to have my friend and colleague, Dahlia Kirschbaum. And Dahlia, I have to ask this question. This doesn't change, even though we're using a different format. How did you become a weather or an earth sciences geek? Well, fortunately, I'm both. Um, and so when I was little, I always found weather fascinating. I grew up in Minnesota, and I really remember in high school, actually, um, helping to sandbag areas of the Mississippi River um, that were flooding. And it was a community effort, and I was really amazed and empowered by the opportunity that we could help mitigate hazards um, as, as our community and understanding the impact that floods can have in that region. Um, and so I think that always stayed with me. Um, and so the thing transitioning to being an earth science geek is when I was in graduate school, I realized the power of satellites to help us understand those floods. And those connections were really, really powerful for me and has really empowered me to help articulate these messages of the power that satellites can have to understand our planet, look at the past, observe the present, and also monitor and uh, predict the future. And she mentioned graduate school. So let me start off by just giving you a bit of her background. She has a, a master's and Ph.D. in Earth and Environmental Sciences or Environmental Sciences from Columbia University uh, and an A.B. in Geosciences from Princeton University. Uh, she has been at Goddard Space Flight Center for over 10 years or so. That's where I first met Dahlia during some of my stint uh, interacting as a scientist and a colleague at NASA Goddard. She is now the director of the Earth Sciences Division at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. We're going to talk all about what that means. Uh, she was previously chief of the Hydrological Sciences Laboratory, and she has served as the Global Precipitation Measurement Mission, or GPM, Deputy Project Scientist for Applications, and is on the Atmosphere Observing System, AOS Science and Applications Leadership Team. And I know a little something about that GPM mission, uh, formerly serving as a Deputy Project Scientist uh, for that mission uh, myself. But let's just dive right in. We have we have a lot to talk about, and Dahlia is the perfect yes. person. First of all, she works for NASA, so that's cool. And then second of all, uh, there's so much that I know she wants to share, but I want to get into the day-to-day -day because, Dahlia, I have Absolutely. been around. I've been at NASA. I've been in federal agencies. Uh, you are now the director of Earth Sciences at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. And we'll get into what that means in terms of NASA Goddard and its role within NASA. But can you talk about what that role entails and the big picture connection to NASA? Absolutely. Um, so as director of the Earth Sciences Division at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, now there's about 10 centers um, and other field sites. 
Um, but we're actually the largest group of our scientists in the world. Um, we have about 1,400 people, and the goal is to understand how we take observations um, of from satellites, how we bring them into models, and then how we can use that data to really help understand actionable solutions. Um, and so we work very closely with engineering to conceive of first the big ideas, you know, how, what will, how we can move forward the science by making new observations. And we work with the engineers to conceive of and build those missions. Then they launch and we work to develop the algorithms, the way that we translate what we see from the satellites down to earth and integrate those into models and other products that can be used by, um, by the earth by the, the public all around the world. Our data is free and open. And so every day, my goal is to figure out how we can harness the power of satellite data, as well as the tremendous workforce we have to really help society understand these huge environmental issues that we are facing today and will face into the future. Um, my job's a lot strategy, it's a lot leadership. Um, we just had a town hall recently. We had 450 people listening to where are we going as an earth science division here at uh, NASA Goddard. So it is such a tremendous honor and privilege to be in this role. And our goal is to work collaboratively across um, our other field centers, our science group, work with headquarters, our academic partners, industry partners, and the international community, all to understand how we can do this together. As you know, it's an all hands on deck effort to help us understand climate change and its impacts today and in the future. And, and something that you just heard Dr. Kirschbaum say, hey, NASA studies the third rock. Uh, many people, when we think about NASA and they think about space shuttles and astronauts and Mars rovers. And I used to get the question a lot, oh, do you forecast for rocket launches or do you study weather on other planets? Well, NASA, as you just heard, has a very robust and vital mission to study the planet that we live on, arguably the one that I'm most concerned about right now, frankly. And so it's important that people understand that. What has been your biggest challenge as director of the Earth Sciences Division at NASA Goddard? I think one of the biggest challenges is that we want to and need to make observations of our Earth that not only create these continuous records, so we understand climate over time, these multi-decade records of things like precipitation, of temperature, things that we need to understand how our planet is changing, but also enable future missions to figure out what we need to study in the future. And so the Earth System Observatory is the new set of missions that NASA is developing to really understand that in an integrated way going forward. And how we do that, how we fund that, how we work to enable those missions to go forward with everything else in our constellation and with those around the world is both the opportunity and the challenge that I think I face most acutely in this role. The big question, and it's a question that I know you've received and I've gotten it over the years as a, a NASA scientist and someone that still does research with NASA through funded grants. Why do we need the perspective of space? Why, do we, why can't we just use radars and ground systems? Why do we have to do this from space? It's such a good question and it's so important, right? Because you can take a rain gauge in your backyard and you can understand the weather. You can get a weather station in your backyard and understand temperature and pressure even. The problem is, is that if you take all of those rain gauges together, all of the ones that are operational around the world, they only fit into two basketball courts. And so understanding the bigger picture of where our weather is coming from and where it will evolve over time, 
that it requires a vantage point from space to really look at that whole Earth view at once. And so we have the obligation as NASA working in concert with our operational partners like NOAA, um, as well as others around the world, to create that, that essentially patchwork understanding that can be stitched together to understand our Earth as a system. And we can't do that only from the ground or from the air. Um, and so this is why we do what we do and why NASA is monitoring their Earth and is a critical player in the both US uh, industry, and US and industry and internationally to, to better understand and create the uh, ability to look into the future for our Earth. So when we come back, Dahlia, I want to ask you about many different things, but I want to take a break and we come back. I want to talk about some of your research, because even though you're this big, fancy NASA administrator now with <laughs> Goddard, I know you're a scholar and a scientist as well. So I want to talk about that when we come back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with the director of the Earth Sciences Division at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, Dr. Dahlia Kirschbaum, who's a, a close friend and colleague, someone that I've worked with along the way. And we're going to dig into some of her own research before we get more into the big picture missions that I know she's working on at NASA. And you're going to notice a little bit difference in how she, difference in how she sounds this time because uh, we both may have been in a little bit of a wind tunnel or an echo, but we have gotten rid of that echo. And so let's dive in. Dahlia, what's your research all about? I know you've done research on extreme rainfall and landslides. So give us a little peek into what you do as a scientist. That's right. Well, we I have a fantastic team that works together to harness the power of satellite precipitation, understanding the slope, the vegetation changes, um, and even where humans are to better understand rainfall-triggered landslides on Earth. And landslides happen in nearly every state and every country, and they cause thousands of land, uh, fatalities every year. Um, and so as our NASA landslides team, we've actually built one of the only global systems to help understand and um, dynamically estimate the potential for landslide hazard. Um, and so that has been a really powerful tool for stakeholders at the global scale. Um, we are working with the Pacific Disaster Center who uses this model for creating hazard alerts in their disaster aware system. We've been able to work with communities in Southeast Asia and in Nepal and others to kind of retrofit it for the regional setting and help um, improve the disaster response and awareness for those regions. And then even in, um, in Rio de Janeiro, we've been working closely with local groups um, and the city of Rio in Brazil to develop a system that they're calling LASA Rio, so the Landslide Hazard Assessment for Situational Awareness. And we just found out recently that the operational alerts that they're presenting to the population, both in terms of 
when it may be raining that causes landslides, as well as where may be impacted, the populations, the roads, um, the, the roads, they're working with local civil protection and others to create more dynamic alerts to alert their population. So it's pretty exciting to see how the science behind this has been kind of moved to a, a very local level for impact, impact um, full and actionable solutions to help address landslide. And, and this is a, a really great point you make because much of this science translates to the so what. Uh, oftentimes we as scientists know the value of what we're doing, but oftentimes our stakeholders, our decision makers, the public may not make the connections, but when a Hurricane Maria or a significant rainstorm in in uh, Asia somewhere in a mountainous terrain, or even some of the more recent hurricanes from last season, uh, impact these terrains. Landslides, mudslides are a big problem. And so your work is translating right to the so what, but perhaps even saving lives. Well, I mean, that's the hope, right? We're trying to create what's called situational awareness. So what does the hazard look like and empower regional and local entities to make decisions about when to issue alerts or how to inform populations or how to take action? Um, and, and I think one of the most important things that I'm, I'm really proud of with this is that all of the models, the algorithms, even the data are open to the public. It's open source. And so people can take this. We have trainings online and can actually use it for their own applications. And so this is aligning with the year of open science um, that NASA is really promoting. But we've been doing this for quite some time now and see a tremendous opportunity to really open up this space to not only what we can do at NASA, but how we can share that and empower others to do the same. Now I wanna shift gears because I know that was sort of your scientists and sort of applications connector hat. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanna now shift back to your role as director of Earth Sciences at NASA Goddard. And I know that there's a window into NASA headquarters with that. You mentioned that there are 10 space centers within the NASA ecosystem, if you will. Each of those space centers has an expertise in something else. Uh, NASA Goddard is one of the key Earth Science centers as, um, and each center does something. Kennedy Space Center, for example, they launch things, for example, mostly. Uh, so I like to share that because people would always ask me, are you at Kennedy Space Center? Are you at Johnson Space Center? But in your role at Goddard, you're you're managing a large group of scientists, but you're also moving missions along uh, from sort of formulation to ultimate launch and science data collection. What are the key missions that are either in orbit right now for the Earth Sciences Program at NASA or that are on the horizon that keep you up at night? Absolutely. Um, so. There are about five centers um, that focus in earth sciences. Um, Goddard happens to be uh, one of the large, well, the largest center in terms of earth science and, and science more broadly. Um, but we work really collaboratively across the other centers and headquarters to implement missions. Um, one of the key, uh, a grouping of the key satellites that are up there right now that have been providing really critical data for the last 20 years or so are the Earth Observing System, EOS missions. And so those include the Terra, Aqua, and Aura satellites. Now they're nearing the end of their life. Um, they've been uh, performing um, exceptionally um, and uh, all good things have to eventually come to an end. We can't, we don't have enough fuel or um, the capability to keep them in orbit, but we're, they are still providing really important long-term records. So while we're looking at creating those, as well as new missions, not so new anymore, the Global Precipitation Measurement Mission, um, which was launched in 2014, as well as the ISAT-2 mission, we are looking at different, different areas of water 
on our planet. So GPM looks at the atmosphere. ISAT-2 looks at our oceans. I mean, it looks at our ice. And then we have new missions like the SWAT, the Surface Water Ocean Topography Mission, that um, which is, is co-led by, by JPL and CNES, which is a French space a this French agency. Um, those are looking at our oceans, our water bodies. Um, and then we work collaboratively with Europe on others. So for example, the Sentinel missions, like the Sentinel-6 Michael Freilich is helping us understand ocean and how the ocean is changing in height to look at that long-term signal for climate change and sea level rise. Now looking forward, as I mentioned uh, before, the Earth System Observatory, ESO, is kind of the new way that we are conceptualizing how we can observe our Earth. And really foundational to that, that Goddard is leading, is the Atmosphere Observing System. And so this brings together some of the great things that we've seen from GPM, as well as the ability to understand our atmosphere with missions and instruments like Calypso and CloudSat. And so the goal of AOS is to really harness this understanding of the aerosols, clouds, and precipitation interactions together. And that is a really critical part of our climate system that we do not yet fully understand and need to, to understand how our let's, climate let's, is going to change. Let's in jump in there. Let's geek out. This is weather geek. So let's do it. Let's geek out. Yeah, so you mentioned aerosols, these particulate matter, things that are suspended in the atmosphere, and they can be black carbon, they can be sulfate, they can be all kind of particulate. Make the connection for me to why you're throwing out the word aerosols, clouds, and precipitations in the same sentence. Absolutely. Uh, and this is an exciting area of why NASA does what it does like nobody else. Now, of course, I'm biased, but it's also kind of true. We know that climate change impacts are already being felt around the world, right? So we may reach 1.5 degrees C of warming in this decade. And what we're finding is that we are rapidly changing from this linear change that we've been observing. I think many of you have seen any of the temperature curves, et cetera, to an exponential change. And so this is driving surprises in how our Earth system will respond to these changes in the future. Now, foundational to that is how aerosols, which are particulates, as you said, in the air, respond with clouds to change what we call the radiation, the heat exchanges, um, as well as the, um, the dynamics, how our Earth system and our atmosphere moves. Now, one of the things that most people don't understand is the largest uncertainty or unknowns in climate models are these interactions. It can change by fourfold how we represent aerosols in our cloud model, in our climate models, aerosols and clouds and precipitation together, it can drastically change what we anticipate for the future. And so we're going entering an era of surprises and we can't be flying blind to these changes. And so AOS offers us that opportunity to understand those changes to better predict our near and long-term future. I want to take one more break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask Dr. Kirschbaum the bigger question of the day. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And welcome to our new format. You're actually seeing us as well as hearing us. And we're still kicking the dust off the tires and working through all of the details. But this is going to be an amazing new era of Weather Geeks in the same way that Dr. Kirschbaum is bringing an amazing new era of Earth observation modeling so that we can better understand our planet, not just from a science, oh, wow, that's neat, I learned something state, but the fact that we don't have a plan B planet. This is the planet that we live on and it's changing. So the bigger question that I want to ask Dr. Kirschman, I mean, there are two, two parts to it, actually. The first one is from an Earth, just as an Earth system scientist, and NASA approaches things from an Earth system science perspective, what is your overall big concern as an Earth system scientist, and is there hope? Well, I, I want to say it's more opportunity, um, and there's always hope. Um, and so I think what I see is the biggest opportunity here, which can be framed as a challenge as well, is how we best represent what we're experiencing today and be able to forecast that into the future. And so, you know, if everyone thinks, you know, storms are looking different these days than they did 10 years ago. My field is having different types of rainfall that I experienced relative to now, right? We're seeing more, we know we're experiencing more extremes, more extreme rainfall, more extreme droughts, and how we integrate that into our earth system view is fundamental to how we understand the future. And so I think that there are, there are things we don't know yet. And there are observations we need to make from space to get that understanding. And so from my vantage point, understanding, as you said, Marshall, that Earth system approach is the opportunity and the capability that NASA has, again, working in concert with, with its partners, to push that envelope in understanding how those extreme storms may impact you in your field, in your backyard in the future. And so I think we have the tools to be able to do that, and we need to continue to push forward the innovation that NASA has with the tools to create those actionable solutions for everybody from our political leaders, our community leaders, down to those just making a decision about whether to bring an umbrella to work or not. Now, I want to circle back to your, your scholarship, because I like to make connections for people. And one of the things that our production team um, discovered in, in preparing for this particular podcast is something called Landslide Reporter, uh, a citizen <laughs> science system. And, and I'm seeing more citizen science efforts. I actually have a rain gauge in my backyard now. I participate in something called Kokoraz. For, tell us yep. about yep. that and can people listening and watching participate? Oh, well, thanks for the plug. Absolutely. So Landslide Reporter is, is a citizen science effort that we uh, developed to help people report landslides. Now, the first and most important thing is do not report a landslide if you are on it. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Please be in a safe place. <laughs> but, um, but this is just an opportunity for the community to bring together information because we cannot see all the landslides on Earth, and we need to understand them to better model and predict them for the future. And so I think this is a, it's a great opportunity to do that. And then making the pivot to kind of other examples, as you said, for citizen science, the GLOBE program, um, which is working in schools around the world. We have millions of people participating, students in schools. 
and, um, and they're able to report what clouds look like and precipitation and other um, trees, how these, these environments are changing around them in their schools. And it's a really powerful tool to engage students in the act of doing science and inspire them to pursue these areas and, and really spark their curiosity to learn more about our planet. And that's really how we can evolve our next generation of our scientists. Really, really fascinating conversation. I knew it would be. That's why I'm glad we uh, had Dr. Kirschbaum for this new debut view of our format. Last question. Someone listening wants to be a scientist at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. What, what are a couple of pieces of advice you'd give? Oh, it's one of my favorites. Favorite questions. So the first and most important thing you can do is, is continue to be curious, right? So as scientists, as you know, Marshall, we ask why. Why are things happening? What, why do they happen? What do we need to, better, to understand them better? And how does it impact us? And I think if you keep asking those why, what, how questions and exploring science, you will learn that it's such an amazing field and there's room for everyone in different places. We work with engineers every day to figure out the new ways of building things smaller, right? To conserve mass and power. We work with our modelers to say, what do we need? What variable do we need? What uh, observation to really improve our ability to look to the future? So the first thing is to be curious. The second thing is to get a foundation in math and science as you're taking in, as you're studying in school. What I tell students is it may not be the most exciting thing to do multivariable calculus or what have you, <laughs> linear algebra or even just geometry, right? But it gets so much better. And, and I think that when you start to apply it, that's where I, that spark really happened for me is I loved math, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with it until I fell into natural hazards, which sounds a little weird, but I saw those connections to understand how convection, you know, how storms develop and move is rooted in math and how we can really move uh, our understanding forward of those strong storms and how it impacts us. So that's a third, the second thing. And the third thing is talk to your teachers and professors. And they have so many connections, so many opportunities to give you new ideas. So even if you think you've hit a, a dead end, keep reaching out to the people in the community that may help to guide you because those are the people that have inspired me, including Dr. Thank Marshall Shepard, to really move forward and ask questions about how we can get to the next step. And, and I feel so privileged to be able to have those types of mentors. And so I encourage everybody to pursue well, that. Really and I did a lot. <laughs> there is one other question that I have. So first of all, let me just say uh, Dr. Kirschbaum's an amazing scientist and outstanding science communicator, but she's humble. She's also pioneering uh, because I've been in, in the federal circles. Uh, she's a, uh, a, a, a probably one of the first or top uh, women in this role as a high-level senior executive with NASA's Earth Sciences Program, particularly at Goddard. And I know that people aren't aware of that, and she may not actually mention that. But I mention that because there's still some challenges in terms of gender representation in science and other communities of color and so forth as well. So I want to thank you for being a pioneer. My last question for you <laughs> is, what's your most memorable moment after... I guess over a decade at NASA, what what sticks out to you when you do you tell your your grandkids or someone one day what stuck out? What what would you say at this point in time? And there's many more years to go for sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think more broadly, you know, one of the most important things that I've experienced is we have the we are working with 
the best, some of the smartest people in the world to try to solve these issues in a really altruistic way, right? We all want to understand together how we can make the world a better place, and we need, as I said, an all-hands-on-deck effort to do it. But the very specific moment that I was like, wow, this is amazing, is I was doing an interview in the clean room with a fully assembled GPM, Global Precipitation Measurement Mission Satellite. Now, it's about the size of a small school bus, and I'm sitting there with a bunny suit on, right? So you, co you cover everything up. And I looked back and realized that what we were building at NASA, uniquely so, is going to change lives and save lives around the world with the power of the data it's providing. And that gave me goosebumps, it still does today, to know that NASA has this tremendous opportunity and obligation to push the envelope on how we understand our Earth. We need the capability, the resources, the support to do that. And so working with our industry partners, our academic partners, our you know leaders are critical. Um, but for me, taking that very personal experience, it was quiet, I looked back and said, oh my goodness, this is going to be an incredible mission to help people around the world. And indeed, it's, it's happened in spades and we're seeing GPM providing just unprecedented data around the world in concert with the other Earth System science fleet that we have at, at NASA. Well, that, that's where we have to end it. I encourage you all to really <laughs> explore the NASA Earth Sciences Program, NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, and some of the missions because uh, they're doing work on behalf of all of us. We have to end it there, but before we do, it's time for our Geek of the Week. We highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week in our new format, so congratulations on being a pioneer yourself, is Jack Rudin or Jack <laughs> Rudden. Jack is a college student in Central Maryland and a member of the AMS and a National Weather Service Storm Spotter. His most memorable weather moment is the January 2016 blizzard that covered the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast. While his most memorable weather event is on the colder side, his favorite type is a bit warmer as he enjoys studying and forecasting severe thunderstorms. If you someone you know would be a great and deserving candidate for our Geek of the Week, continue to monitor our social media pages. Dahlia, thank you so much for joining us and being our test case on Weather Geeks today. Oh, it was, it was so my pleasure. Thank you so much. And hello to all the weather geeks out there. I hope you continue to learn and, and, and grow and learn about our exciting planet. And that's where we'll end it. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and we'll geek out next time on Weather Geeks. Thank you.